Let's go ahead and pray. Seek the Lord today. Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy and your love for us. Lord, we are so indebted to you. We need you so much, Lord, every day. Help us to look to you, Lord, to glean from you today, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and to be more like you in this world. Lord, I just pray that you would meet our needs in Christ today, that um, anyone here who's hurting or sick or going through things, Lord, we thank you for bringing healing in our lives. Lord, I, we lift up James Owen's father to you, Wilburn, Lord, who I heard fell down and possibly broke his hip. Lord, you know that whole situation. Father, please bring comfort in his life right now. Please bring healing. Uh, I pray that he will look to you and find just hope and peace and, and joy in the midst of uh, the pain that he's going through, Lord. And so be in the midst of that situation, Lord, and whatever else is going on in our lives. We thank you that we were able to all get here this morning safely. And just pray now as we look into your word that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would encourage us, edify us, mold us into your image, unify this church, Lord, and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been kind of a crazy week for us in the Panary household. Uh, we had Leah's grandparents out and some of you guys probably saw them here last Sunday, John and Bernie. And then we had um, Daniel and Michaela, my brother and sister-in-law out, and their three nephews. And so they were over the house throughout the week. And we picked up a tree last week and we were trying to get the house all clean and decorate the tree and the tree kept falling over. And I'm working on the stand and Leo was working on getting it to stand straight up and one morning we woke up and the tree was like pretty much completely all knocked over and it was just like one little trial after another throughout the week and just a lot going on you know you want to have the house clean when people are coming over to visit and the grandparents came over and we and Leah's parents came over and we had like a little Christmas get together and ugly sweater contest and fun times and great fellowship but come Friday morning we were just kind of beat at that point and I was substitute teaching at work, and I'll maybe get into that in a little bit. Maybe that'll be part of my message. Um, but come Friday morning, I woke up kind of tired and achy, and I'm like, wait, is something, am I getting sick? And I tried to push through it, and I still went to work, and then Leah texts me later in the day that she wasn't feeling good, and as the day went on, my head started pounding more and more, and I started feeling re really hot at work, like I was getting a fever, and then both of us were like, okay, I don't know if we can uh, show up here, and so we are like, we had to make a decision at some point, like, are we going to go for it or not? And if we go for it, are we then just going to get other people sick and then be sick for the whole weekend and not even be able to have church? So we ended up canceling, as you know, Friday night. Praise the Lord. Some of you still got together, but I felt bad about that the whole rest of the day. And I hate canceling things last minute, but praise God, we were able to rest up Friday night, Saturday. So we're able to stand up today and talk and sing and so, praise the Lord, we're here this morning, and uh, glad to see all of you here today as well. I've been going back and forth on, should I do two Christmas me messages, should I do one today, and then one on Friday, and then we have New Year's, and, you know, I don't know how all that works. I do you have to do a Christmas message and do you have to do a Thanksgiving message and a New Year's message? And I don't know how that all works. I'm still figuring this all out. But 
I want to continue on today as I've been praying about what to teach on the next fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is bearing the fruit of kindness. We've talked about love and joy, peace, patience. I want to talk about kindness today. I was actually going to bundle three fruits of the Holy Spirit together, kindness, faithfulness, and gentleness. But as I was putting together this message, I thought there was enough in the scripture about kindness that it's just going to be one message. And actually, when we're talking about kindness, you're going to see how Christ is tied into it, as he is tied into every message that we give in one way, shape, or another. So in one way, you could say every message is a Christmas message, because every message is about Christ. So we're talking about kindness today, and the question that I posed last week is, when we're pressed, what comes out of us? When we're pressed in life, when we're tried, when we're tested, when we're tempted, what comes out of us? And we talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and literally the Greek word for Gethsemane means olive press or wine press, and Jesus was pressed there. He was tempted. He was tried, and what came out of him? Prayers, prayers to his father, prayers for his disciples, prayers for us, because it says in John 17 that he prayed not only for his disciples, but for those who would hear their word and come to know him. And so even before that, a couple chapters earlier in John 13, he was still being tempted and tried. He knew what was going to come upon him. He knew he was going to be betrayed and go to the cross. Yet what is he doing? He's washing his disciples' feet. He's taking care of them. He's teaching them. And then f furthermore, as he's going to the cross, he's tempted, tried, and pressed even more. And what is he doing on the cross? He's praying to his father. He's making sure that Mary, his mother, is cared for. He's talking to the Apostle John and say, care for my mother, and John, here's your mother, and Mary, here's your son, and take care of her for me. And he's praying for those who are persecuting him, saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, Father. So when he's pressed, he's bearing fruit up to the very end. So the question for us is when we're pressed in life, when we're going through trials, when we're going through temptations, what comes out of us. And in Galatians, the Galatian church was being pressed as well. These false teachers were coming in telling them you must be circumcised to be saved, and they had a dilemma on their hands. They had a decision to make. Are we going to keep walking in the Holy Spirit? Are we going to continue to live in faith in Christ and our salvation that we have in him? Or are we going to give in to the peer pressure, so to speak, of the false teachers coming in? And Paul said in Galatians 5, 7, you were running well. Before this false teaching came in, you were doing well. You were bearing fruit. But then he says in Galatians 5, 16, or actually right before Galatians 5, 16 and Galatians 5, 12, that these false teachers were coming in and troubling you. He actually goes as far as to say, I wish that they would emasculate themselves. And commentators go back and forth on what exactly that means. But most would say, if they're telling you to be circumcised to be saved, why don't they just cut off the whole member? Strong words from the Apostle Paul. And I wouldn't put it beside Paul to say something like that when you read through the epistles and some of the strong language in which he writes. And then he says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit so that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's his exhortation. He's imploring them, walk in the spirit. Do not give in to the pressure of these false teachers. There's a Greek word, thlipsis, in the New Testament. 
and it's defined as pressure, that which constricts or rubs together, used of a narrow place that hems someone in, pressing together. It can be translated tribulation in the New Testament, distress, anguish, persecution, or trouble, depending on what verse this Greek word philipsis is used in. And it reminded me of when I went through the fire academy and they had us crawl through these small, narrow, dark tunnels. And we would have our self-contained breathing apparatus on and we're going through there and there's all these wires and we're actually going through pretty much together. So I remember crawling through one of these dark tunnels and my SCBA, as they called it, was getting hooked on these wires, and I'm feeling all claustrophobic in there, and then I finally get unhooked, and then there's someone in front of me. So I can't go forward because he's now stuck, and he's not moving, and so there's nothing for me to do but then to just sit there curled up in a ball with almost no space and to just wait for him to move forward. And there's nothing you can do other than breathe and wait, and you've, you have you it's, it's hard to describe unless you've been in that situation, but you just feel like death. You're like, I have nowhere to go, and I'm already claustrophobic as it is. And so one of the guys crawled through this maze, and he starts yelling, mayday, mayday. Like, he's panicking. He, he's not holding it together anymore. And the captain who's on the, I was on the outside of the tunnel by this point. He's going, ah, don't worry about him. He's fine. He'll make it out all right. And he's just laughing. And meanwhile, this guy's in there screaming, like, as if he's going to die. Like, mayday, mayday, somebody come in here and save me. And eventually, he made it out and the captain laughed about it, but it is a horrifying feeling to be pressed like that, to be, especially if you're claustrophobic. And this Greek word's more talking about spiritual pressure and the trials that come in our life. It could be physical tribulations or persecutions that come that um, go together with spiritual pressure. But listen to what Jesus said in John 16, In this world, you will have phlipsis. In this world, you will be pressured. You will have tribulation. But take courage because I have overcome the world. The question is when we're pressed like that in life, spiritually speaking, what's going to come out of us? One more example, Acts, Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations, through many phlipsis, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul went back to the churches in Acts 14, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, and that was the main thing he was telling them. You guys are going to be pressured in life. You guys are going to go through afflictions, and this is necessary for us to enter the kingdom of heaven. So just as they were training me in the fire academy for what was to come later, we're being trained in this life. God uses the pressure. He uses the trials to do different things in our lives for us to get our eyes off of this world and onto him. So when we go through things, God wants us to walk in the spirit, to cling to him all the more so that we'll bear fruit unto him. If you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it's a passage we looked at last week, but it also applies to the fruit of the spirit that we're looking at today, kindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll pick it up at verse 3, where Paul says, giving no cause for offense in anything. Some translations say not putting any stumbling blocks in front of anyone in order that the ministry not be discredited. And I talked about last week how important it is that we bear fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life, no matter what we're going through, so that people don't discredit our ministry, our lives, our walk, our Christian witness. That was very important to the Apostle Paul. 
Verse 4, he says, But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. He says much endurance. That can also be translated patience. Much patience despite all these different things that he was going through. And the next thing on the list is afflictions. Guess what that Greek word is? Philipsis. Through much pressure, affliction, tribulation, hardship, Paul says these are the things that I went through and how did he respond when he was pressed, when he was tried? And in verse 6, we see purity, knowledge, patience, and of course, the fruit of the Holy Spirit we're talking about today. He responded with kindness. Much pressure, much distress, much patience, much kindness. And how did he do it? What comes next after kindness? In the Holy Spirit. So go figure. The guy who wrote Galatians 5.22 and Galatians 5.16, but I say walk in the Spirit, and here's the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He says here, I responded with kindness. I practiced what I preached. I was preaching to the Galatian church to walk in the Spirit. He's preaching to us to walk in the Spirit. And he says, look, when temptations, trials, hardships came my way, here's what came out of me, much patience and much kindness. So, it's, it's a time for us to reflect in our own lives how we respond when difficulties and trials come our way. The Greek word here in verse 6 for kindness is krestates, krestates, and it's actually the same Greek word used in Galatians 5.22 for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Same word for kindness used there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6, kindness Christates. It's defined as being useful, profitable, refers to meeting real needs in God's way, in his timing. Greek scholars have said there's not quite an English word that captures the meaning of Christates accurately. It's a combination of kindness and goodness together. And the Greek language had all these um, eloquent words to describe things. And f like even love, for instance, there's what, five or six Greek words for love and we just have love, right? And so kindness could be referred to, here's a simple definition of kindness, love in action. Kindness is love in action. And if we're talking about God's kindness towards us, it could be defined as his tender concern for providing for helpless and hopeless man that he never could, that man could never have provided for himself, God's kindness. So this Greek word, krestates, it's used 10 times in the New Testament. I want to give you four texts that it's used in. The first one, Romans 2, 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that his kindness leads you to repentance? Paul's telling the Roman church, stop abusing his kindness. God is a kind God, but if you continue in rebellion, his kindness will no longer be afforded to you. His hands are no longer outstretched to you, as I talked about last week. 
His patience runs out. His kindness runs out. I remember someone told me when I was growing up in the church at Blessed Hope, someone said, I'll give my life to Christ later in life. I'm going to live for myself now. I want to enjoy my high school years, my college years. I want to party. I want to live for myself. And then later in life, I'll give my life to the Lord. And that was the attitude of some in the New Testament time, perhaps even some in the Roman church that Paul is addressing in this passage in Romans 2, 4. Don't think lightly of his kindness. And the second passage is Romans eleven twenty two. Behold the kindness and the severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. This kindness is offered to the world in Jesus Christ and to those who continue in him, but to those who reject it will be cut off. I believe I shared this verse last week, Ezekiel 33, 11. God said, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? That's God's heart, right? We talked about that in a little bit more length last week when we were talking about patience and how God's patiently waiting for people to come to him. Second Peter 3, 9, God is patient with you, not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that's his heart. His arms are outstretched to the world. Why will you die? They will be held responsible, which means they're able to respond to the great call, the commission, the gospel, so that they will be without an excuse when they stand before God on judgment day. The third passage, using this Greek word, Christates, kindness, Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, where it says, And God raised us up with him, Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. So not only is God kind to us in this life, according to Ephesians chapter 2, he's going to surpass us. Sur the surpassing riches of his grace. And Paul uses that word three times in the book of Ephesians. Surpassing greatness of his power, Ephesians 1.19. Here in Ephesians 2.7, the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness. In Ephesians 3.19, the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. It's something that transcends. It goes above and beyond. It's, the Greek word is hooperbole, and it means exceedingly beyond. Paul's saying his kindness is something you can't comprehend. And for all eternity, it's something that's going to transcend our understanding. We're going to grasp it in some way, shape, or form, his love and his grace and his kindness. But in another aspect, we're not going to be able to. And we take that by faith, Right. We can't see all that he has planned for us, but we trust that for all eternity, he will bless us beyond measure. So that should cause us and encourage us to be focused in this life, to turn from sin, to turn to him and love him all the more. The fourth passage, Titus 3, 4 through 6. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
One of the definitions I gave for kindness is meeting real needs. That's how many biblical dictionaries define this Greek word. Meeting real needs. How does God show us his kindness? By meeting our real needs. And how does he meet these needs? These needs of love, these needs of hope, these needs that we have of inner peace and joy and our brokenness. We need healing. How does Christ meet our real needs? Or how does God do it? He does it through giving us Christ. And that's why I said this is a Christmas message, right? (laughs) Because God shows us his kindness ultimately. The greatest way he can show us his kindness is by giving us Christ, who fulfills all of our needs. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul lays out the many ways in which God shows us kindness in Christ. And if you read through Ephesians 1, he just hits us with it, verse after verse. And let me give you these ways. Verse 3 of Ephesians 1, he says, God has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in, in Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ. And verse 4, he talks about how God chose us in him, in Christ. In verse 5, he talks about how God predestined us to adoptions, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And then it says, according to the kind intention of his will. Verse six, he freely bestowed his grace upon us in the beloved, in Christ. Verse seven, he forgives us and redeems us through the blood of Christ according to the riches of his grace. Verse nine, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. Verse 11, He's given us an inheritance in Christ. Verse 13, he has sealed us in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit is God saying this is your down payment. This is your pledge. This is my way of showing you that you have an inheritance. I've given you the Holy Spirit to show that you are a true believer who has the Holy Spirit living in you and will one day inherit all of these promises. And then Paul concludes Ephesians chapter one with this amazing prayer in verses 18 and 19 where he says, I pray, and he says this to the Ephesian church and to us as well, I pray that, you're, that the eyes of your heart, verses 18 and 19, would be enlightened, that you would see that, you would, that your heart would be illuminated to see God's kindness in what he's done in Christ. And he lists three things there. The hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, and the inheritance in the saints and the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. It's as if Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 is holding up a portrait of Christ and all that we have in Christ and saying, look at all these amazing blessings. Look at the kindness of God and what he's done for us in Christ. And then he prays and says, do you see this? Not with your physical eyes do you see it, but with your spiritual eyes of your heart. Are you seeing what God has done for us in Christ? And he says in Christ at least 20 times in the first three chapters. In Christ you have this inheritance. In Christ you have these blessings. In Christ you've been adopted. And so on and so forth. And he does this in many of his letters, right? He starts with this rich theology and then you get to the therefores. And so in Ephesians 4.1, he says, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Ephesians 5.1, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. 
Therefore, now that you see Christ and you truly understand how blessed you are in him and how kind God is, now live for him. Bear the fruit of kindness in your life. And that's what he says in Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. He wants us to have a tender heart. That Greek word literally means from inside the bowels, inside this compassion that almost you can feel in your inner being towards another human being because God feels that way towards you and I. So have that tenderheartedness toward one another, that kindness towards one another. The Greek word used in Ephesians 4.32 is Christos. It's a verb. It's very similar to Christates, which is used in Galatians 5.22 and 2 Corinthians 6.6. And it means useful, serviceable, beneficial, benevolent, friendly, kind. Be kind to one another. It was a common slave name in the Greco-Roman world. You would say, come here, Christos. Come here, useful. You are serviceable to me. Basically, come be kind and work for me. A slave name. Listen to what F.F. Bruce, a Greek scholar, states of this Greek word. He says it appears, quote, it appears as a spelling variant for the unfamiliar Christus. In the Greek, the two words were pronounced alike. So this Greek word for kind, Christos, is pronounced very similar to Christos, which is Christ. And so he says they would almost be used interchangeably since they sounded so similar to the point where people, if I'm understanding F.F. Bruce correctly, they were using the same word for kind as for Christ almost interchangeably. And so Paul essentially could be saying, be kind to one another, be like Christ to one another, serve one another, be gracious to each other, be kind to each other, just as Christ is kind to you, just as Christ is tenderhearted to you. I thought that was pretty cool, the link between those two Greek words. First Peter 2, 2 and 3, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in regards to your salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, Christos, if you have tasted Christ, if you will, perhaps the play on words there, if you've truly tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you've truly tasted Jesus Christ, then you are going to be kind to one another. And as I was putting this message together, I was even telling Leah, if we could just truly understand God's kindness towards us, all the fruit of the Holy Spirit, if we could truly understand his love for us, how loving would we be towards one another? If we could truly understand that in his, in his presence is fullness of joy, at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 1611, how joyful would we be? If we truly understood Christ's peace, God's peace, how much peace would we have? If we truly understood God's patience, that he's not willing that any would perish, how patient would we be towards one another when we truly understand how patient God has been with us in the midst of all our failures and faults? And if we truly understand God's kindness towards us, how kind will we be and should we be with one another? So the words love and kindness are very closely related in the New Testament. When Paul defines love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 
The second definition he gives is after love is patient is love is kind. When you look at the Hebrew word kesed or chesed, it's used 247 times in the Old Testament. And this Hebrew word is translated as loyalty, kindness, mercy or merciful. It's God's rich and abundant love, kindness, mercy towards humanity in many of the instances that that Hebrew word is used in the Old Testament. And one way it's translated, at least in the NASB version, is loving kindness. The translator said, we're just going to put both words together. This is the best way to describe God's love and his kindness in this Hebrew word, kesed, loving kindness. Let me give you a couple examples of where this is used in the Old Testament. Numbers 14, 19, Moses cries out to God, pardon, I pray the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. It's used in Ezra 3.11 as they're rebuilding the temple. It says they sang praises and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. Job uses this word, Job 10.12, you have granted me life and loving kindness, and your care has preserved my spirit. One of my favorite instances of this Hebrew word is Psalm 63.3, because your loving kindness is better than life my lips will praise you. Psalm 92, 1 and 2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. This Hebrew word kesed is used more times in the Psalms than anywhere else, over 100 times. I didn't count them all, but around 100 times or so, it's used of God's loving kindness. And... It's interesting that it's used there a hundred times or so because when they're enraptured with God's loving kindness, they can't help but sing, right? The Psalms are songs. And if we're truly understanding God's love and his kindness for us, what should our response be? But to sing, but to praise him. And if we're not praising him, if we're not singing, if we're not overjoyed in him, perhaps we're not really understanding his loving kindness towards us. Even in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He said in chapter 1, verse 16, for these things I weep, my eyes run down with water. That's why the book's titled Lamentations. But then he says in chapter 3, 31 and 32, for the Lord will not reject forever, for if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. It's a theme throughout all the Old Testament, throughout all the Bible of God's loving kindness that God is slow to anger, he's rich in love, he's a kind God, and so when we get to the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, he's saying don't abuse this kindness. So, the early church truly grabbed a hold of this concept of loving kindness. And I've talked about some of these things that I'm gonna share with you here in just a minute, but they suffered much, right, in the early church. Christianity, wasn't necessarily the same as it is today in our country. 
and that they were hunted down, persecuted, killed for their faith. When they were writing the New Testament, they didn't have the freedom to write openly and make copies of Paul's letters and the letters from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They usually had to do it in private. The Romans and others were, were trying to take these manuscripts and these copies and burn them, and many of which they did. It's actually a miracle that there's over 5,000 manuscripts that we still have today of the New Testament, and they're even finding more of those today. But in the early church, it was a completely different environment and culture than it is here in America today, although we're going that way very quickly, as we've seen in the last couple years. But more than even the persecution and those trials that they went through, there was two significant plagues that happened in the early church that I've mentioned before. The first plague was the plague of Galen, also known as the Antonine Plague. It's named after a physician named Galen that told us many of the things that we know about this plague today. He was a physician that ran out of town and fled, trying to flee from what they believe was maybe smallpox or measles, but was wiping out, some say, 1% of the population up to as many as 50%. During the years 165 to 180, and it actually claimed the life of the emperor Marcus Aurelius. The second plague was the plague of Cyprian, from 249 to 262. Millions upon millions died. Some say 5 million died. Um, one third to maybe even a half of many cities were decimated. And many fled and left their loved ones to just die. And this is what Bishop Dionysius describes the Christians' behavior. This was the fruit that they bore when they were pressed when they went through this significant trial. Quote, most of our brother Christians showed unabounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Dionysius went on to say that this was as equal to martyrdom. If they were willing to serve one another, to die with one another, he saw that as a martyr's death. And he contrasts that with how the heathens treated one another. And he said that the heathens threw out their family members on the roads even before they were dead. They would throw them out on the roads, leave them there to die, and the Christians were taking people in. And ironically, looking back, many historians have noted that the Christians seemed to survive at a higher rate than the heathens did because they were actually providing food, water, and some of the necessities that people needed that were on the verge of death to actually survive. And many, many claim that this is how Christianity flourished and grew at proportional numbers during the first several centuries because people saw how much Christians loved one another. Tertullian, during the plague of Galen, states, quote, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. I can quote that like a thousand times. I love that quote, that the outsiders are looking and seeing how much the church loves one another. Kindness on display, love on display. 
The early Christians showed each other and the world around them the love of Christ by being kind to each other, meeting each other's needs and fulfilling John 15, 8. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. They proved to be Christ's disciples when the pressure came, when the trials came by living out the fruit of love, the fruit of kindness in their lives. Last week when my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, Daniel and Michaela were here, they came to church and we were standing in that back area maybe 45 minutes, an hour after church was over and we were catching up on life and ministry and my brother-in-law Daniel's a youth pastor in Simi Valley, so we were talking about the church and at one point Michaela peeked her head in the church and she looked out and said, look Daniel, they're still ministering to each other. They're still fellowshipping together. And she essentially was saying what Tertullian said, look how they love one another. And that was just something that stuck with me since last week. It's such a beautiful thing that you guys stay together and fellowship together and we take it for granted. And Pastor Joe said that for many years, even at Blessed Hope Chapel. He's really hit on that. Look at how you guys stay after and fellowship. And I just always thought that's how every church is, right? Like every church stays after and fellowships and talks and cares about each other. But unfortunately, that's not how it is in many churches. It's like the pastor's done talking and people look at each other and say hi, and then they run out and go on to the next thing in their lives. And so praise God, you guys are doing a great job in that area. Let's keep doing that. On Friday, I, as I mentioned, I woke up achy and tired and I didn't want to go to school and teach because I'm like, I just have one more day and then two weeks off, which is awesome. Been working a lot lately and praise God, he's been giving us energy to do what he's called us to do. But I thought, okay, I have some sick time. Why don't I just call out sick? And then I was doing that thing where I wake up and all this was going through my head. Like, should I go? Should I not go? Should I go? Should I not go? And I was substitute teaching for someone who was already sick. And so I'm like, I can't call out sick too. That looks bad. I'm subbing for someone who's sick. And the last couple of days have been hard because there's not really lesson plans that they have for me because they're like, well, it's the end of the week and they're all getting ready for Christmas vacation. And so we don't really have lesson plans. There's a couple, but for the rest of the time, just do like word search things with them and play games with them. And, but that can only last so long when you're in a class for six hours with second graders who all they can think about is opening presents and the break. So I knew it was going to be a rough day when I woke up. And I just, as I mentioned earlier, as the day went on, my head started hurting more and more. Um, I had to bring, send a student down to the principal's office a couple times and was hoping they would send him home because he was just a problem child. And instead of sending them home, they said, we'll just come up and talk to him. So they would come up and talk to the student and then go back down. And the moment they would leave the room, then he would start throwing paper airplanes and writing all over the board. And it was as if there was a slip and slide in the classroom. He, that's what he was doing. And I started to run out of options with what to do. <laughs> and I'm like, so at one point I told the, she's like the assistant principal, I go, I'm losing this classroom. Okay, honestly, I don't know what else to do with him right there. I need your help, okay? And I didn't tell her like, okay, and I have a fever and my head's pounding and I feel like I'm gonna throw up too. But help me get through this, please. Because the moment you walk out of this classroom, he's just gonna rile the entire class up 
and I got like six more hours in my shift. So I don't know what to do here. By God's grace, I got through it. Let's just say I raised my voice a little bit at a couple times and put the fear of God in them. And they were, actually the principal came up later to give me a gift card for Christmas break. And she goes, wow, the class is doing so well right now. And she just came at a time like right after I lovingly chewed them out and they were all just sitting there quietly coloring and, and I, so anyways, by the end of the day, I went home and Leah was on the couch and we're, she's doing her breathing treatments like every five minutes trying to get better. And I'm down, I downed probably two gallons of water on Friday, literally. I was just drinking water, taking all these vitamins, trying to get better and sulking a little bit on the couch. And then we got a knock on the front door and Peggy Williams brought over some food for us. And it was such a blessing because little, it's not a little thing, but maybe you'd say, oh, she just brought over food. But when you're having maybe a bad day and you're not feeling well and you don't feel like cooking and you're tired of eating the same stuff, like tuna out of a can or whatever you've just been putting together and there's actually a good meal, you're, it, it blesses you, right? And then after that, knock, 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 someone else comes to the door, Dave Hughes, with some really good noodles that me and Leland were fighting over. And then that was really good too. And so it was really a blessing to see that. Saturday, woke up, and then at one point, we have Travis and Marissa visiting. Travis texts me, hey, can I bring you over some food? Another blessing, right? And then Leah said several people were texting her that they were willing to bring over food, and they're praying for us. And on top of that, we got a card the other day, and this is from Patty, and let's just say it had a substantial gift inside. It was really thick. I was wondering what was in there when she handed it to me. And you guys can think of what that was. Some of you contributed to that. And so that is what kindness looks like, right? You guys wrote the message for me today. And it's just, it means a lot. And I told Leah the other day, I go, I don't know how to thank people. I don't know how, <laughs> like when they do things for us, I don't know how to show them thanks. And sometimes I don't know what to say, or I'll tell her, I'm like, it doesn't come across as thankful because I'm like, thank you. And there's people in our family, even, and even friends that I've seen them get gifts and they're like, thank you so much. And they like, they're all exuberant. And I'm like, that seems like they're so thankful. And I don't know how to show that. And sometimes I'm like, thank you. And I don't want it to come across as if I'm not thankful. And so we're so grateful for you guys, your kindness towards us, how you have cared for us. And even over the last couple of days is we've been under the weather and you guys loving us and caring for us is such a blessing. And I want to close with a passage that I think is fitting from Matthew 25, 31, as we get ready to take communion. Matthew 25, 31. These are the words of Jesus. He says, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the sh shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. When we serve each other, when we're kind to each other, we're serving our king and we're showing kindness to him. May we never forget that. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, that we can serve you, that we can know your loving kindness, Father, in Christ. And because we know Christ, we can be loving and kind to each other. Help us, Lord, as Paul prayed, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would see your wonder, your beauty, your majesty, and your loving kindness towards us. Help us, Lord, to show that kindness towards each other and even to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.